Why is Santa Claus such a good lover? Go on. He only comes once a year, but by God, he fills your stockings. And cut. Cut. <laughs> cut. Definitely cut. You are aware, Trim. You are aware Trim. That, that some people might be under 18 that listen to this, or 21. Well, it shouldn't. It does, it does say fruity language. Yeah, even so. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Hello, Julian. Hello, Mike. Hey. I've listened to an episode of Veterinary Ramblings. I seriously hope nobody else does. Oh, I mean, it's awful, isn't it? I, I was I was thinking, actually, I, we joke. I mean, I was thinking about what a year we've had. It's been amazing, hasn't it? We've, we've spoken to some really interesting and quite incredible characters, haven't we, Mike? Absolutely. I, I think one of the things that got me was some of the interesting life stories we've had. Do you remember Sarah Cotton? Yeah, yeah, I remember Sarah Cotton. Yeah, so she she was the fire um, person, wasn't she? Fireman, fighter, yeah. a woman who who fell off a bridge and broke her back. That's right. That's incredible, right. Incredible, incredible story. How long was it after the doctor had told her she must never ever garden or swim that she started a gardening job and swam the channel? Yeah. <laughs> it was and you made that bit of a gaff when you were talking to her no I didn't do you remember it no no I didn't no I think it, let's, let's, we'll watch the clip I'm sure you made a bit of a gaff when you were watching when you were talking to her but I, w- I want to come back to this accident because this, this is a major trauma this is a this is a turning point in your life and yeah. it, it's difficult sometimes to see silver linings when the shit has literally hit the fan and you're battling and it hurts and it's painful. It's a long way ahead and it's difficult to see quite where you're heading to. Was there anything that you fell back on or any of your, was there a particular therapy that you, you really clung to that sort of helped drive you through this? Well, I mean, during all... I think, I think fell back on and drive through are <laughs> probably the wrong terms to use on. I think that's I apologize. Sorry. There were several things. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm an upbeat sort of person anyway, and I, I was a triathlete. Right. But through all of this, I've I've had animals. I mean, I had four dogs at the time of my accident. Mm-hmm. So I was I was super fit, running, cycling, you know, tremendous group of friends, and and four little dogs that had to be walked. Right. You know, no matter what state I was in when I came out of hospital, they wanted a walk so I had to get up and do stuff you know not one to sit about anyway um so they I've always had an animal of some sort dogs primarily in, in the last 30 years but right. um, yeah and always re- little rescue dogs um I've got pigeons at the moment but you know all, all they, don't, they don't need walks on the day <laughs> no you're okay with those Sarah it's uh, that's that's absolutely fine <laughs> But yeah, little dogs and and keeping fit. I I swim a lot. Um, after my accident, the dog uh, the doctors said to me because I, I struggle with really bad backache, or at least I did. So and you're, not gonna, well, you're not going to ride a bike, and you're not going to go running. Well, you say that. Okay. <laughs> and here, here's where <laughs> here's where it gets interesting. The, doc, the doctor right. said to me. 
I, I got backache all the time, even when I swim, which was, you know, I loved swimming and running and all this sort of thing. And he said, well, really, no swimming. If you must swim, a little bit of gentle backstroke and no gardening, you know, really, because that's that's not good for your back. So obviously, I'm, you know, now I'm working as a gardener and swimming was the only thing I could do out of the triathlon that I that I was left with. So, so how long after he said no swimming... Yeah, did you start did you swimming? swim the channel? Yeah, I swam the channel. Well, I mean, you don't, you don't just, you don't just. Well, I mean, it was some years later, but I, I sort of built up to that. I, I got back into swimming, and um, I just started. I, I thought I can't not swim. I mean, that's just part of my DNA is is being a swimmer. So I started doing Pilates to strengthen my core muscles that I thought would help support my back. You know, I was trying to, I don't, I'm not one of those gobbling painkillers and sitting back and thinking, oh, the doctor says, actually, I I better not. I'll just sit and watch telly all day. You know, I just can't do that. So I thought, well, there's got to be another way. So I strengthened my core muscles by doing Pilates and I I just massively upped the swimming. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm out. Massive, um, ma- massively up to the swimming. So yeah. So Julian said they swam the channel, and I've got a feeling he's not joking. No, he's not. He's not so you went from you went from potentially, well, definitely life changing injuries to swimming the channel, which for our listeners who are unaware is a strip of land, a strip of water between England. And France keeps the little blighters away. That's what yes, I say. Keeps the, well, it, it's it's ah. protected. It's protected our shores from a lot of people, hasn't it? Like it's uh, protected our shores from from fifty five BC. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And the Spanish Armada and and Hitler and didn't yeah. do much good against the Vikings though, did it? But but anyway, that's another Not story. Twenty one miles. It's twenty one miles. Is twenty one miles, and it's uh, the open water, swim. open water ocean swim of twenty one miles. Yeah, and it's, it's not the, warm, is it? Just shipping lanes in the world, and cold, cold water. Sarah just goes to show what you can achieve when you set your mind to it. You're absolutely right. Yes. I talking of which. Do you remember we spoke to that uh, that vet student who had set his mind to becoming a vet, even though he had no GCSEs? Jamil Dowling. Jamil Dowling, yeah. yeah. He was, now he phoned us first from Armenia where he was doing his travels and saying, come on, come on, better around things. Something but, like that. And then we next heard of him escaping from India or something. There, there was some story about that, wasn't there? I can't remember, but I think we've got a clip that will remind us. Let, let's watch that. Because you're, you're okay. wagging off school, you're taking exams to suit yourself, when did you think you fancied becoming a vet? I mean, since always I knew I wanted to work with animals in the conservation, wildlife sort of realm. Okay. If it was as a vet or as a bi- biologist, I mean, I guess it was always as a vet, but, you know, when you're young, it's not 100% clear yet. And especially how the vet is sold in the UK as, as in like what your standard vet does in the UK, I guess the path I kind of want to go down isn't your standard one. Um, so 
ended up leaving Spain with no qualifications. Well, I had them, but I didn't get them in paper or whatever. <laughs> so in theory, I was going to an international school in India and getting my GCSE, IGCSEs there and eventually A-levels. But it didn't work out with my dad. He stopped paying the fees. They threatened with handing me over to the police or something. Mum got involved. She had no money. Embassy repatriated me, the British embassy. And they said, right, we can put you on a plane to Spain back to your mum, or we can put you on a plane to Heathrow and see what happens. I knew from what the Spanish education was, and I think I was 17 then. Yeah, 17. Um, and I knew that if I went back to Spain, that's the end of it. Like, I definitely wouldn't get into vet med. Um, just because of how the education system and stuff works. So I was like, put me, send me back to London. Um, in theory, somebody from the embassy was going to pick me up. No one did. So I arrived at Heathrow, <laughs> went to the asylum seekers by accident. <laughs> they sent me to Hillenden Borough. I got classified as an asylum seeker with a British passport somehow. Um, <laughs> so I got put in with the asylum seekers from Iran, Syria, and stuff, which is incredible. Like, you know, the stories you could hear from them and stuff was really eye opening mm. at 17. Um, and then basically, since the moment I got back, which was around October, I think 2016, maybe 15, 2016, um, I was like, right, what do I need to do to get into vet school? Fuck, I need to get GCSEs, minimum five. Um, and then on top of that, I also need to get my ASs and A2s, and I need to do some placements. So I was like, well, <laughs> you know, A-levels, GCSEs, and ASs, they're only escalations of one of the other, right? <laughs> so I might as well do them all in one year together. Like, it should be feasible, right? If I know a A2s, I should be able to do GCSEs. Um, yeah, I see the logic there. I do see yeah, a lot so, of yeah. It's, it's, it's like it's like saying, look, I can I can make a white bread roll, so I may as well make a croissant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it doesn't take into account GCSEs dumbed down from A levels in some bits. So you kind of need to learn the mark scheme to to that level. But I think it was something like 56 exams in one exam period. So like when exams come up, I had three exams in one day at one point. My cheat was that I took Spanish A level. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even open a book. I just went into the exam and I got an A. Um, <laughs> you know, thank God for that. So I had to do like I, I was already pushing it, but I just I, I ended up getting enough to get onto the gateway program for Bristol. Mm -hmm. Um but during the time waiting to hear back from that, I couldn't really take the stress of just sitting around and waiting. Um because I was adamant that I was going to retake if they'd went bad and then get in the next year and keep applying until they were sick of rejecting me and then they'd have to say yes just to not do the paperwork uh so i bugged off to south korea for a month or two um and went around backpacking there spearfishing for my food and kind of just sleeping on the street and stuff yeah so jamil's worked with some really impressive animals hasn't he oh it really has been very jealous now <laughs> <laughs> Talking about that, I mean, he touched there on in the, in the full episode about working with elephants, and as we all yeah. know, elephants never forget. No, that's what they say, isn't it? Yeah. Never, I bet, I bet all the other animals do, don't they? No, I know another one that doesn't forget. Oh yeah, what's that? Yeah. Don't you remember when we had Mark Hedberg in? <gasps> Talking about the, the, the crocodile, the crocodile that he. 
<laughs> the emasculated crocodile. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, expat vet Mark Hedberg. Let's have a, yeah. let's have a listen to that clip about, oh, about that, the crocodile. That was great. <laughs> and so it was, it was purely small animal you're doing, companion animal. Yeah, all, yeah, yeah, most of it. We had occasional stuff that came in that was a little bit unusual. I mean, my six, you know, week six uh, on the job, uh, the, the driver comes in with the cell phone because, of course, you know, the shake, the prince, the big boss doesn't come in. He sends in the driver with the cell phone and then, you know, cool. Hi, you know, this is Dr. Mark. Can I help you? And so basically he says, well, yeah, uh, we have this crocodile. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, man. So, well, okay. Um, uh, what's wrong with the, the crocodile? Well, he's two meters long and really mean. I can't fix that. What's his medical problem? <laughs> <laughs> so, what was his medical problem? Um, he had a uh, a prolapsed penis, if I'm allowed to say that on Spotify and YouTube and all that. We said worse. We said worse. Very good. Yeah. So uh, basically, um, due to uh, due to constipation, it had the organ had prolapsed, it yeah. had injured, and a partial amputation was required. I was going to say that's, uh, that's yeah. not too difficult, actually. Amputation of it. Well, I've not done a crocodilian. I've done a few other reptile penal activities. Bob- bobbits, I think they call it. Yes, they? six weeks into my first job after university, sole charge of at Western Saudi Arabia, twelve hundred kilometers from the nearest referral hospital. Yeah. That's uh, my old exotics professor, and went, and, you, sure. and you did a John Wayne Bobbit on a two meter crocodile, pretty much under local. Cool. Was it was it any less wild afterwards? No, he's uh, he's hated me ever since. Mm. And to be fair, I can't really blame him. No, no but really. because we, you know, because the, uh, the, the 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 exotics vet told me that the ketamine was, you know, general anesthesia was really going to be a problem because we were in the, you know rather far away from, you know, modern monitoring equipment and ventilators and things like that, because we were next to a swimming pool about 20 kilometers north of Jeddah. So, yeah, we uh, we grabbed him, we tied him up, we gave him a truckload of local, covered his eyes, turned him upside down, and went snippety-snip. Wow. Right. Wow. Amazing. Gosh. I'm not surprised he didn't like you afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, to be fair, he would he would have cheerfully returned the favor if he could. So, you know, fair's fair, you know. I... I and he wouldn't have used local, would he? How many reunions have you attended with him? A couple, actually. Um, a few January 2020, <laughs> just before the pandemic, I actually got invited back. Right. Um, not for him, but uh, for for a, another uh, a, another a uh, patient. But they uh-huh. remembered me years later and said, "Hey, want to come in?" And... Yeah. So, so did you meet the crocodile again? Oh, I did. And he remembered you. He remembers. So anyone that tells you reptiles are stupid and slow and forget, oh, no. Oh, wow. They, they just kind of float in the pool and they watch you walking by. And so, yep, he remembered me. Wow. And it was a bit bigger then as well, wasn't it? Because they, they carry on growing throughout life, I think, don't they? Crocodiles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't wander over with a tape measure. I will be honest. Did, did you not? Did not? Okay. Did, no, I, I pushed my luck enough the first time. Oh, you, you, you didn't throw him a fish or anything? <laughs> what, what did you say, Julian? I said, I can't compete with that. A, a crocodile penis amputation, that's pretty That's pretty out there, isn't it? It's pretty radical surgery, isn't it? It's very good for free beers with the US Embassy Marines. Why? Because they like how they want their penises amputating? 
Now, apparently, if you tell a story they can't talk, you get a beer. Ah. Okay, so that would do it. Hey, you know, I didn't make the rules, but I accept it. <laughs> do you think Mark was very empathetic towards the crocodile there? <laughs> I don't think I don't think he had any empathy. I don't think crocodiles had empathy anyway. They they always talk about crocodile tears, don't they? Well, they do, don't they? But yeah, okay. So if we extrapolate that, mm. the crocodiles don't have empathy. What about cats and dogs? Ah, uh, now Mike. You know that cats and dogs do, don't you? Because we spoke to that lovely Karen Highstan. She's doing a PhD, isn't she? She is, absolutely. And how, how she's researching empathy in cats and dogs and comparing them to human children's assessment of empathy. Do you remember yes, that? I do remember that. She spoke to us a lot about nonverbal communication as well, didn't she? Yeah. Let's, let's dip back into that interview and have a, have a listen to what she's got to say. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Yes, I mean, the work I'm doing is the work looking at whether they actually have, whether dogs and cats have these capacities. And one quite fun thing is, of course, there's a wealth of research in children, non yeah, pre-verbal children, so, you know, one to two-year-old kids, um, looking at empathy development. So I can, because they're pre-verbal, they are, you know, they're not, like, lots of empathy research in humans is all about self-report. The typical psychology stuff, you you tell us what you're thinking and what you're feeling. But of course, you can't do that with little kids because if they can't tell you, then they can't. So they have to get a bit more clever with designing experiments, which use their behavior and their actions. And luckily, we can use those same experience experiments then in non-verbal, non-humans, so cats and dogs. So that's that's one aspect of what I've done, which was an experiment done in 2013 in children where the experimenter faked a knee injury as if they'd banged their knee and were really in pain. And they watched what the little kids did in response to that. And if the kids went up to the person and said, oh, you know, patted their shoulder or gave them a toy or rubbed their knee, they called that empathy. And they showed Mm -hmm. that children developed empathy anywhere between 18 months and two years of age, which was fun for me because when I started this PhD, I had an 18-month-old daughter and I watched her go through all the stages of that study, which was quite fun as she as she grew up. But so I've co-opted that study and I've done the same thing in dogs and cats with their owners. So it's a bonded human rather than a stranger um, faking a knee injury. And I've filmed the dogs and cats. So I wasn't in the room. So I wasn't hopefully making too much of a confound in that regard and filmed what the cats and dogs did in response, which is hilarious, as you can imagine. (laughs) Um, People are surprisingly good. I've asked people to be as method as they can in their acting because they're doing, you know, visual, they're doing sound, but I want them to smell in distress as well. It's quite hard to act a smell, but dogs and cats, of course, they use their sense of, (laughs) they use their sense of smell hugely in, in assessing their world and understanding their world. And so we we definitely are letting off pheromones when mm. we feel emotions, right? And there is a lovely study done by the um, Hungarian crew where they got people, I think, sadness, um, fear, a few other emotions, and they got swabs from under their arms. And then they just showed those swabs to dogs and they looked at um, laterality, which nostril they sniffed at, because depending on which nostril, it's, it's a crossover in the brain as to which side of the brain the processing is happening on. And emotions are more process of negative emotions are more likely to be processed on one side of the brain than the other. So they could show that they were using that nostril to sniff the negative emotion swabs. 
God, and do you know, I've, I've recently thought of this little joke about two two dogs and one of them going up to the air and sniffing in the other saying, do you sniff with your right nostril there, you old softy? God, there you go. But, I must admit, I found everything that Karen said incredibly interesting. The, the information she's able to derive from just observing cats and dogs, absolutely amazing. I, mean, I, could, I could go on about it all night, but I won't, because I know that you want to say something else. You want to bring someone else in, don't you? I want to talk about Craig Tessiman. Do you remember when our friend Craig came in and told us Craig. all about Eddie, the monster truck tortoise? <laughs> Do you remember the that? bionic the bionic tortoise, wasn't it? Yeah. With his prosthetic limbs. Incredible <laughs> stuff. In fact, I think we've got that clip here. Let's have a listen. I think we're very lucky on, on what we see. Um, and the, 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 the level of medicine and the level of veterinary care that we can give to those animals is just as good as what it is with cats and dogs. Um, we had a tortoise in two weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, that had, unfortunately, the owners had... The owners had been out in the, in the garden with, with the tortoise. The tortoise had been foraging and eating weeds. Um, the parents thought that the tortoise had been brought in by this child, by the children, and the children thought that the parents had brought the tortoise in. He spent the night outside. The tortoise was then attacked by rats overnight, and he had quite a lot of extensive damage to his forelimbs. Ooh. We've seen it before, and we've treated them, and everything's been grand. And we started to treat it with dressings and with, with wet to dries and everything else. It was doing really well. And then it came in for one of its checks and there was no saving one of the front limbs. So we decided amputation was the best bet. And I will send you the link and I'll try and find him in a second. Um, this tortoise has now had both of his front legs amputated and has had wheels attached to him. And I think he's called <laughs> Eddie the Monster Truck Tortoise. I'm going to try and find him now. Um, and he's doing really really well but that level of care we were able to perform that because the clients would let us go ahead and do do the surgery and let us do the procedures um and i don't think people realize the extensive work that we can do we're doing external fixatures on rabbits quite regularly we're doing intensive um endoscopy work on parrots on a weekly basis um we do CTs on rabbits probably three times a week. Um, wow. There is an awful lot we can do. Our biggest issue that I'm fighting for at the minute is that our um, is the insurance levels that you get on rabbits is only two thousand pound. Ah, yeah. Um, yeah. Working, working <clears throat> on a referral basis, a first opinion practice can probably run through eight hundred pound quite quickly. Then a referral, consultation, CT, surgery, and the insurance is gone. And then it's how committed the clients are to care after that. Um, but we, our clients do that and our clients let us go ahead and do this. Um, yeah, I think if you search for Eddie Munster Truck Tortoise on Instagram, I think you'll find him. Um, but I'll send you a link if you want to put it on the. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Things. Um, but yeah, that's our little success story that we've had in the last couple of weeks. That's gone completely viral online. Mm-hmm. Is it ethical to attach wheels to your tortoise? It's either that or it's going to scratch the front of its shell every time it walks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same question, is it ethical to put prosthetics? Yeah. Um, they do really well. He, the, We've spoken to the owners in depth and they knew the, the care that was going to be needed. And you could see the tortoise trying to learn that if it pushed up too high on its back legs, it would face plant the floor and how far it can lift itself up to do it. 
and he's learned quite quickly and he's he's zooming around the garden talking of tortoises yeah i know what you're gonna say wow yeah (laughs) our moment of fame our moment of fame included on no such thing as a fish i know my favorite podcast absolutely that was chris wilson wasn't it it was it was talking about (laughs) strapping vibrators to tortoises yeah yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the tortoise and the hare, was it? It was the tortoise and the rabbit. And, and the rampant rabbit, it was. <laughs> Let's have a listen to that. Literally just two weeks ago, I had... Um, so I've got a pet tortoise that I that he was brought into work as a stray. Oh, um, yeah. So I've now become... Yeah, someone found what, him in their garden. Feral tortoise running yeah. around central London. It's what, what London's one, like, apparently. One of our tortoises was was brought in as a stray yeah and no one ever claimed it's, him it's there. apparently yeah. a really common thing and only when we were trying to find the order did we find this, this massive databases of lost and found tortoises yeah um yeah. anyway so i've i've basically become nominated as the, the practices tortoise vet um <laughs> as, as you do so um yeah. and i had one brought in just the just the other week where um he hadn't been eating very well it wasn't associated with hibernation and we did an X-ray, and he had um, he had six or seven sort of significant-sized stones in him um, in his gastrointestinal tract. And she did say that he, he does bite at the stones and things. Um, I don't, do, 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 do you two know this about how you get them out of a tortoise? Mm, okay, we, I, I I do, but please do <laughs> educate me. Um, there's there's a really great. Um, have you ever had a good laugh? There's a really lovely written case report um, on a tortoise that had a similar issue um, where they used, uh, I'm trying to think of what their wording was. Um, I think it might have been a vibrating self-pleasure device is what they referred to it in the, yeah. in the paper yeah. as. And they strapped it to his plastron, so underneath the tortoise, yeah. and they did this vibration therapy. Um, it, it all becomes, it, it, it's legitimate if you call it a therapy. Um, they did it um, like twice a, rampant, a day. And, a rampant rabbit for yeah. tortoise. Well, well, the best thing about it was, do you know when you read a paper and it's, it's got a product, you have to state the product name yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this one, amazingly, was called Rocks Off. And it's, it's definitely... <laughs> You can't write that. It's just, it's just perfect. I know, I've, um, I've, I've read, I've read the article. Is you must uh, read, listeners out there. You must read it. It's, just, it's, it's I mean, if it's something's going to get you into reading journals, it'll be this. Yeah, I promise you. It, it's, it's an exercise in the most cautious writing I've ever seen yes, because yes. You know, whatever, whatever they, whatever they did, they could not sexualize it. Yeah, they had to just give the facts as lurid as it may be yeah how on earth did they decide that's the thing they they don't really give any history to it do they it has long been noticed that no (laughs) they did they did mention that i think they recall it the the tradition or the a a traditional but unconventional method of putting the tortoise in a car and driving over the 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 bumpy tractor ride yeah That's right. Um, a a, like a bumpy ride was simulated by music. <laughs> um, and and, yeah, and so special we're... thanks to Samantha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we did discuss at work whether we'd have a if we'd have a kind of like an honesty box and someone could just leave something in there for the tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> 
okay, guys, look, I've got another tortoise that you can stay in. Where is it? <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Who's, on. Who's got it? Yeah. Um, it? No batteries. Oh, come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, but to me, that's the, kind of the joy of general practice. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you, I mean, no offense to any specialist, but you're not going to get thrown that kind of that curveball on a daily basis, are you? So, yeah. Um, yeah, every day really is a school day when you. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've got, I, I've got, I I've got here in the tortoise news. Rocks yeah. off to get your rocks out. <laughs> it's clear. It's written <laughs> it's there. It's a one line headline. Yeah. I, I only found out. That. I, I last was it last year two years ago I had a tortoise that had eaten uh, some stones and one was clearly uh, blocking the guts and so I did a plastrotomy and um, so cut a little hinged uh, hole in a plastron and removed uh, the stones and about four or five suited the guts uh, wired and fiberglassed the plastron Tortoise made a good recovery. Chatting to uh, a reptile expert afterwards, and he said, "You should have got a rampant rabbit from Anne Summers." And uh, you said, "What? What?" <laughs> he gave me his answer. Oh, yeah, I've been talking to your tortoises, and they, they've been discussing this at length. And he's going, "Forget getting the rocks because he hasn't got a vibrator to use." Yeah, <laughs> you know, if you get you get stones, he's going to cut you open. Absolutely, yeah. no, no fun to be had here. They say. Yeah, you've got to go and see Chris. Chris will, Chris will sort it out. <laughs> well, it, it was an interesting conversation to have. Um, a very, um, she's a lovely client. She, she's quite well to do. Um, and I just thought, because I had started the consult by saying, "Look, I'm not, I'm not a reptile specialist." Mm. Um, and here's me now calling her saying, "Can you please strap a dildo to your torso?" <laughs> I mean, it, it, it took some, like I said, like you said, with the, the paper, it took some cautious wording to. Um, it really is it, it, an yeah. exercise in, in good brilliant. English. It's brilliant. Fifty. What a year it's been, and of course that that was that was BBC with um, with no such thing as a fish, but they, that wasn't the only mention and the only person we've had on the BBC, and it wouldn't be right if we didn't look back over this year to somebody that seemed to be in the headlines all the time. Julian, Julian, oh God, where's he gone? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid he's had to step out of the room, but I've, I've, I've come on. I, I, I wanted to say... Uh, hello, PJ. Uh, yeah, hello, hello, hello fans. Uh, th- thank you. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to say thank you, thank you very much for uh, for allowing your your, uh, your organ uh, to 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 uh, to be the voice of, of my of my political um, uh, cadence uh, this 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 year. Which in many ways, in many years, it's been a very very good, very successful year for me. Uh, other other, of course, than my ultimate uh, complete and utter failure. Uh, but but the rest of of the year was, was very 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 yes, successful. Steady on, BJ. You're telling the truth for a change. I, I thought I would. Uh, I, always, I always do. I always, always tell the truth. Um, uh, sometimes it's difficult to see uh, what, what the truth is because uh, uh, because uh, I because I um, uh, bluster. Uh, I suppose. I always 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 have uh, told uh, a modicum of the truth. Not not not, not always. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, the uh, uh, yes, but sometimes uh, I think. Hang on a minute. Is that a wig? You got me, Mike. It, what? It's been me all along. 
You're kidding me. Yeah. No, really. Boris never actually came on. It's always been me. Sorry to have shocked you. I don't know what to say. It's a bit awkward now. Well, my... You're voting Labour next year. Yeah, OK. Well, whatever. It's, it's, uh, other, other political parties are available. I'm devastated. Absolutely devastated. Yeah. I, What's well, really case, party for no, me? No, 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 I'm not. I'm not discussing that now. I want to carry on with our year review. Okay. And, and okay. Oh, oh, Sean McCormack. Oh, Sean. He, he does quite a lot on BBC as well, doesn't he? He does. He does. He was brilliant. He was fantastic. Um, he was part of the uh, bringing beavers back to Ealing. Yes. And I, I must have. I don't think he said that without us giggling. I, I but, was going to say I, I can't quite remember, but I think. I struggled with the concept of some of that, which is probably my filthy mind or something along those lines. I think, I think we were a bit a bit smutty. But but also he gave us tips on how to get robins to eat out of our hands. We tried yeah. that. Holding I remember worms that with the worms. Yeah, yeah. I'd let's love have, to say I tried it and it worked, but I haven't. Let's, let's have a listen to that. 2016 to 2022 is quite a journey and we've kind of focused on lots of different species. But the big exciting news right now is that we are... Um, putting in an application to Natural England to reintroduce beavers to Ealing um, in, an, in, yeah, in an enclosed be, a closed trial. So we won't be just setting them free into the Brent and waving them <laughs> goodbye down to the Thames. We're going to actually... Ealing High Street, off they go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, off to Broadway, onto the, the central lines. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people have that reaction where they're like, what? Like, I thought beavers were these, like, wild landscape creatures and things, but... Actually, urban beavers exist across Europe and North America, um, Munich, Berlin, Vancouver. But yeah, like I mean, beavers are are only gone from the UK 400 years, which in kind of evolutionary times is, is the blink of an eye, really. And we're just well, it's not used longer to... than the dodo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we're just not used to having them around or what they do, and you know, there's a lot of hesitation from anything new in the environment um, when it comes to wildlife, but. Yeah, we're putting in this this application and, and basically it's about, um, I guess, three things. One is seeing how we can um, kind of integrate and, and interact with beavers in an urban setting, because whether we like it or not, beavers are on the way back in Britain and they will emerge in, in cities and towns and we need to understand how to live alongside them. So that's the one big thing is like, actually, let's do this before it becomes a problem. Let's do it so we can see how we can um, interact with beavers and actually most urban beaver populations are not very problematic at all. Um, and the second one is um, for kind of what uh, studying their habitat improvements and biodiversity improvements with them. We've reintroduced harvest mice, which are Britain's smallest rodent already to Ealing. We believe they've been gone for 30 or 40 years, but with the rangers and um, the kind of different management of a green space, we've good habitat for them now. And we were thinking next on the list would be try and re reintroduce water voles. Um, Ealing are, cats will love you. I know, I know. We're putting all the rodents back, right? So we've we've got some water voles around near us in Arundel. Have you? Arundel, yeah, the, the WWT reserve, right? Yeah, yeah, they're beautiful. Yeah. Well, they 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 did the, the the population dipped for a while because they think that uh, weasels or, or uh, mink was it? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, them, but... yeah. So I mean, we thought about doing that, but that's very kind of labour intensive. But actually, if we bring beavers back first beavers create the perfect wetlands and ecosystems for water voles and a lot of other things. Um, mm. And one of the big threats to water voles is, is mink, North American mink that have been released from fur farms and they're designed to eat muskrats in North America, but they can eat, eat water voles here and water voles have no kind of 
um, defense from them. So putting beavers or, back first. Although they can, they, if they put an extra thick overcoat and their galoshes on, then the minks can't spot them so well. Yeah, suits so of I, armor. I read, really, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. I've read Wind of the Willows, so I know that Ratty is a water bowl. Ratty is actually a bowl, yeah. He always, he always wears his galoshes. Yeah. So that I'll no one recognize his footprints. We'll, we'll take that into account in our water yeah. bowl reintroduction yeah. project. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of the reasons put the, put water bowls back once beavers have created this new kind of elaborate wetland system. And then the third reason is the kind of human benefits. So um, the area that we're, we're planning to enclose and have them on for five years and study the effects, um, it kind of is a, a sunken area and downstream of it is a high flood risk area. So actually by putting beavers on there and then damming the systems and creating wetland, they create much more water absorption capacity and they, um, they'll they hold water and the theory is that they will reduce flood risk downstream in kind of flash flood and, and road runoff events and they'll also improve the water quality coming out of that site. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. we want to see what urban communities, you know, are like in engaging with rewilding mm. and, and kind of um, nature based uh, solutions and things. So I want to learn because I've seen a photograph of you with a robin on your hand. Oh, yes. yes. I want to learn how you did that. That's very easy, guys. There's one very simple secret to that trick. I've done it loads of times. With Is lots it blue of on your fingers? No, no. It's um, it's mealworms. Yes. Mealworms. So mealworms are basically like crack to robins. Yeah. Um, so if you have a robin in your garden, robins yeah. are, you know, very tame of garden birds. Mm. One, and the reason for that, you know, about how, why UK no, robins no. are the gardener's friend? No. Um, in Europe, on the continent, they are quite a shy woodland species and they follow around um, wild boar rootling in the earth. And right. basically, we have replaced that um, proxy for wild boar with our garden shovels um, or spades digging in the garden. The English robins, UK robins, uh, basically see a large mammal turning earth and they're hardwired to take advantage of that opportunity and feed on the earth that's left behind. So our garden mm. robins almost are treating us as wild boar. Mm -hmm. So if you have a garden robin and you, uh, you're you out in the garden quite a bit, just get a little pot of um, live mealworms or live wax worms, keep them in your pocket and just throw them down for the robin occasionally and they'll associate you with them. And then gradually you can just throw them closer and closer and the robin is very bold. It'll come in and eventually it'll just take them off your hand. I've done that in like the space of two or three days um, sometimes with robins. Right. I, I assume you're just sort of singing that Disney song. I am basically Snow White, but um, yeah, I also I use didn't mealworms. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> well, Christmas, of course, is not really Christmas without giving of gifts, is it? It's not. No, no. Oh. that's what it's all about. Do you remember? Do you remember Lacey Pitcher, vet nurse? We yes, had? yes, I do. Uh, spoke about neurodiversity, didn't she? She did. She spoke a little bit about neurodiversity, but but the concept of her pay it forwards, the veterinary pay it forwards. Yes, veterinary pay it forward. Yeah, what a great concept. Mind blown. Oh, very Mind blown. Let's just remind ourselves of that clip because I think that's it's not only inspirational, it's really it's really warm and giving in more ways than it's one. Apt for Christmas, isn't it? The community started building and we set up an initiative um, called Veterinary Pay It Forward. So I didn't necessarily care about me, but I cared that someone the other end of the country might also be feeling that no one saw them or they were having a rough time and no one recognised. 
And so we, what we started doing is sending very um, individual packages um, curated for what people liked um, anonymously to any members of the veterinary community. So it didn't matter if they were vets, nurses, receptionists, practice managers, anybody. And they arrived unannounced at practices across the country so that the recipient that opened them and received them felt seen and valued and appreciated. Okay. And because mm. they didn't know where the packages came from, they couldn't say thank you. So the idea was that they pay the kindness forward. And so all of a sudden this ripple effect across the country started happening and people were sending the way we kind of explain it is like a virtual hug or high five. Sometimes it's just mm -hmm. you've worked your butt off with a case and everything's gone really well and you just want someone to see that you, you noticed it. And one of the surprising things that it, you know, I'd assumed it would be students that had felt unappreciated or unseen sometimes, but actually we got um, lots of nominations for people that were senior. Um, so practice managers and clinical directors whose teams didn't know how to say, I see you, I appreciate you without it feeling condescending or, or false. And so this, this movement started rippling. And so Veterinary Pay It Forward grew substantially. And during the time that it was growing, I had essentially had a breakdown that most of the community didn't know about because I was the very smiley person, quite extroverted, had a good job, everything looked good on the outside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as the community grew, people got to know me. And so when I started this huge trip, they were completely rooting for me mm -hmm. because I'd been transparent thinking, well, I'm starting to feel better. And the thought that someone else somewhere might still be feeling nothing we need to talk about that. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. And so we did. And, you know, it's not going to change the world. But for some people in that moment of time, mm -hmm. uh, it did. So I was just blown away by the number of people who were like, well, you've helped with the logistics of, of this. And now, you know, we want to do something to help you back. So it would have been, I think, when I got uh, I got lost in New Zealand and I didn't have anywhere to stay that night. Um, so I'd messaged a friend to say, I don't suppose you know anybody in mm -hmm. New Zealand, just so I work out the area, just to almost calm myself. And within an hour or two, I got a text message saying, oh, if you can just get to this town, someone will come and pick you up. Um, I've got friends at a vet practice. They've asked their team, someone will... Um, someone will come and help you and that's kind of a bit of a bolt out of the blue it just makes you go wow how many professions and careers could you know that actually would be there for you and there's just something really special about veterinary medicine mm -hmm. where we've got this big extended family who just kind of go I get it what can I do mm. how can I help what do you need um, and it's been amazing. So I've kind of embraced it ever since because the connections we make are so important and we underappreciate them so often. 
but I hadn't realized until I'd started traveling how many people would have been there the entire time and well, if I'd have said to someone I'm not okay would have been there they what just didn't platform know. is this on um so it's veterinary pay it forward we basically set up really really simply um very high tech I was just a woman with a dog and a notepad that I took everywhere and we ran through Facebook and right. people would message and say you know we've lost a patient today the clinician worked really really hard the vet worked really really hard and they're blaming themselves mm -hmm. they didn't do anything wrong but they just feel they must have missed something and right. I just want them to, to know they're appreciated and right. that we we saw that and so with their their details of the practice and the person's name they'd send some pointers so it could be something really obscure we had one lady that really loved Harry Potter and so those those kind of notes go in the notebook and when someone wanted to do something nice for someone they'd just message and say can I have a name off the list so they might never have met this person at all and they just get some, some small details and then they would go out and they would personally curate this package to arrive for another person somewhere else in the country knowing that they were going to make their day and it just lifted the entire teams when they landed because no one knew they were coming um so it's really really simple but it just made such a difference to lots of people and was a huge huge shift for me I couldn't say I would still be here without the community that looked after me and that's mm -hmm. like, I'm so lucky so so lucky I think we're at 5,000 parcels now. Wow. Um, yeah. 3, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and then, yeah, we've got a few thousand people in the group, but people dip in and join and leave as they feel they want to. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, and I think it's really important that we don't differentiate between clinical and non-clinical. Mm -hmm. um, and all members of the team, whether you are vet nurse, clinical director, um, that uh, one of the most amazing parcels we ever sent went to um, a gentleman that works at crematorium. Um, and he visited the team every week and he always checked it. if he noticed someone wasn't okay or was, wasn't their normal cheery self, he checked on the team and he got to know them because he'd been going there for a really long time. Right. And they messaged and said, oh, I know he's not a member of the veterinary team, but can we? Like he's he, like, he won't let us carry anything that's too heavy. And he always checks we're OK. Um, and that was lovely because I hadn't thought about it then. But who says thank you to those people? Who says thank you to? Um, yes. so it's, been, it's been amazing. Um, but it kind of brings home. And when you see some of the nominations that come through, the compassion in our profession is huge. We had our old mate Matt Rendell on again, didn't we? We did indeed. That was great. He told us that great story about, was it Mangabeers? Mangabeers and, and uh, the relationships with the, the local farmers. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, uh, and he, he posed that fascinating question, that really interesting philosophical question, didn't he, about 
taking care of the environment versus helping human populations who are already struggling in many cases. Yeah, yeah. How, how do we balance the two up? I, do you know, I can't really remember. Let's, let's, let's watch it again. So, so let's not beat around the bush here. They were, in effect, the mangabees were wiped out of this area because of human-animal conflict. Yeah, and for loss of habitat. So, and there's always this thing everywhere I've ever worked where you get what's considered conflict animals. There's always a, you know, a, a, um, a persecution against those individuals, and, it, it, and it's understandable because often the people don't have a lot. And if they come and there's a, you know, a tiger eating their goats or there's a, um, a manga bee still in their crops, um, then you can understand them being really angry and, and <laughs> seeing that that is a, a bad thing. And um, the, the translocation of, of conflict animals is really, really interesting and basically doesn't work. Um, so I think often they, 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 the people are at their wits end and decide that the only thing to do is to start taking on the primates and starting to to remove them from that area which is is a shame um but you can see how it would get to that point you know it's, sure. it's understandable sure. uh, absolutely i remember i remember how i changed my attitude towards foxes overnight um when the fox killed all my chickens yeah um and that was you know it, it took me quite a long time to sort of get the balance back in my mind that uh well, the fox has got a right as well, and he's hungry, and there they are. Yeah, and I, and, and I like the way that um, we 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 now start to challenge those things properly. I think the days of just you know just assuming that what we do is right, I think, is gone. I think we always question everything now, which is yeah, mm -hmm. is sure. makes us down science. So imposing our will just isn't the right way, is it? Um, there's got to be a a more holistic change yeah. to it. We have lots of challenges as well because I think the whole um, the whole kind of perspective of captive animals I think is changing and I think as time goes on it will continue to change. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it makes for an interesting landscape for sure. Do you know, Mike? It struck me as we were chatting to to Matt, mm. all, all blokes together having a bit of a laugh. We do we do rib each other fairly endlessly. And yeah, I'm, I'm very often the butt of your jokes. As, as I am of yours and, and happy to be. But not everyone's happy all the time, are they? It's very easy to get a foot wrong, to say something that you think is in jest or inconsequential, yeah. and people can take it very much to heart. Yeah. And we had Janika Patel telling us about that, didn't she? Mm. I love Microaggressions. That. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot, and I think you're right. It's, it's important that we should stick together and support each other. And admittedly, there's, there, are, there is a time and place occasionally for the odd jest. There is. But that can come across as very cruel, can't it? It can, because as much as we think everyone finds us amusing, and that they've got an escape room here, if they, if they don't, they can just turn the, uh, the wireless off, can't they? It isn't something else. But in a workplace, you can't turn it off you have to put up with what people are saying and say we should be very much more mindful when we're talking to our colleagues, our friends, and yeah. even even we haven't really got to know yet that what we say isn't being disrespectful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's have a listen to see what, uh, let's have a listen to part of Janika's story. It's common and also, I think, to some extent, subconscious. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people that say these things don't realise they're saying it or the actual 
double meaning behind it um which I think can be as I said it, it it's hard to identify and to tackle um because of that because you know if, if someone's like oh when people ask me oh where are you from and they mm. say you're where you, where are you from originally some of the people can just generally be curious like what what in my story is they uh-huh. don't mean any harm or malice behind it but so some people do as I said intentionally or unintentionally and um, some people do and and I, I sometimes take it the wrong way because it makes me feel are they questioning whether I'm I have a right to be in this country mm. you know I'm, I'm born here I'm raised here but it just makes mm. me feel that they wouldn't ask um my, my white friend the same question mm. well you had that awful experience when you were eight uh with the yeah. boys outside the shop didn't you so yeah yeah. Not really surprising that, that that you'd be um sensitive to these statements. Um mm-hmm. is there do, do you think there's a culture that, that can't be changed in this generation, or do you think it is something that, that, that people can be made aware of and will uh strive to to to, to think before they speak? Yeah, I think the latter, but we we can try to unlearn those subconscious traits um where possible and 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 try to be more mindful of what we say how we say it i i have had people say to me you know well, well then you're oppressing our free speech or why do we have to think about everything that comes out of our mouths i'm not forcing you to you don't have to but this is my experience and this is how I felt when people have said these things to me we all go on about being kind and and you know treating others as we'd like to be treated ourselves so if if some people who've said that to me I say well you've asked me my thoughts and feelings this is how I feel and, and these are the experiences I've had mm. I I would advise you and I want you to learn from it and not say the same things to other people like me but it's up to you at the end of the day to to learn that to do more research on that to reflect it, um, on it on yourself and make those changes um it's, I am seeing people do that but yeah yeah I think yeah, it, it must be quite brave to call people out on this sort of thing do you actively call people out if they say something like that I try my best to okay because um, that takes a lot of courage it mm. does and sometimes I don't have that courage and mm-hmm. I've become more courageous as I've gotten older mm-hmm. certainly when I was in younger when I was in university I wouldn't say anything I wouldn't speak up right. now I do start to call things out I I call I find myself calling people out that I'm familiar with who I know mm-hmm. so my, my work colleagues my family my friends I still struggle um with calling it out to, to strangers sort of clients and members of the public I still find that quite uncomfortable that can be quite dangerous um, yeah Yes, yeah. yes. And, I, and also, yeah. I suppose you're thinking, well, I don't want to alienate this client. I don't want to make them think, oh, you know, she, she's bristly. I don't like her as a vet anymore because she's no. she's made me look small and stupid or made me look mm. racist or made me look a whole heap of things. Mm. But but there must be some way of, of letting people know. Maybe people watching this uh, podcast will, will, will think... Mm. Uh, I'm going to think about what I say in the future. I'm, I'm, I want. Yeah. To, I, need to, I need to ask you this, Janika, because you said calling friends and family out. Mm-hmm. 
yeah I think that's really important and I think that's a good place to start when you're unpacking these things and having those realizations yourself I think it it, it starts sort of grassroots up like you've you've got to then call these things out in environments that you're comfortable with to start off mm-hmm. with and then work your way up to mm-hmm. calling people out in, in general and mm-hmm. I've that's how I've started doing it oh. and um yeah I've called out family members that have made racist remarks and viewpoints during the Christmas dinner table um I've called friends out for remarks that they've made about certain races or, or certain minority groups um yeah I think that's really really important to do Mm. Interesting. So we've had we've had some really really good sixty second CBD. Not all of it was veterinary related. I'm very grateful for that. Do you? Remember, I'm very grateful for it too. Do you remember the concept of the gratitude bomb? Yeah, I love that idea. Summarized, Thank you. Summarised by Emily Holmes in her sixty second CBD. Yeah, do you know that? that I think it's so powerful. Just saying thank you. Let's have a listen to it. Emily Holmes, 60 seconds on practicing gratitude, starting now. So the art of practicing gratitude is something that is very simple. You don't need any fancy equipment. You don't need a notebook or anything. You literally can just think think about this in your head. Um, You can do this at the start of the day or at the end of the day. But it's essentially what it says in the tin. Think of three things that you are grateful for in your day. Um, There is scientific evidence that's out there that proves that um, practicing gratitude actually helps to lift your mindset and helps you look at things in a more positive way rather than in in a negative way. Um, And another quick one as well is if you are really finding that you're really struggling with your mindset, is you can actually do what um, one of my friends quoted as a gratitude bomb. So you essentially sit in a room, close your eyes or leave your eyes open and look for everything in the room that you are grateful for um, and helps you sort of stay grounded, keep yourself, um, sort of bring yourself back into the present moment and just helps you take over that mindset that sort of got you. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I love it. A good summary of practicing gratitude. Is it a gratitude bomb, was it? Yes. Gratitude bomb. Well, so what are you grateful for this year, Mike? Me? I'm grateful. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, actually, you, you, you do that. It is difficult, isn't it? Sometimes I don't feel grateful for anything. Sometimes I don't feel grateful that, that that there's even air to breathe. Sometimes I feel really mad with the world. But occasionally when I'm feeling that way, someone will open a door for me or, or, or a nurse will hand me some blood results or, or help me inject a dog. And I'll say, oh, thanks very much for that. And I, I suddenly feel a bit better. And I suddenly think that's, that's gratitude going both ways. Because thank you gives a bond. Yeah. Doesn't it? So so what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for a whole heap of things this year. Too too many really to mention because I'm grateful for the, the colour of the leaves sometimes. I'm grateful for a cup of tea in the morning, whether it's made by me or, or my wife. I'm grateful for for my nurses for, for being amazing. I'm grateful for my clients for coming to see me and for, for letting me into their world a little bit to uh, to make their pets better. 
I'm grateful for, for being your mate. And and you should be. Yeah, let me go. <laughs> <laughs> and and are yours. It's it's a concept that I will readily admit I struggle with. Except that I sit here sometimes feeling quite bored and a little bit lonely mm-hmm. sometimes. But I haven't got missiles raining down on my head. I can go and make myself yeah. a cup of tea. I can have mm-hmm. a drink. I can go to the fridge. I've got food. So I actually, I, I struggle with the concept because I take so much for granted. But in comparison to so many people, I have so much. Yeah. And yeah. I suppose, if anything, I'm grateful for all of that. There's a lot to be grateful for. Cheers to that. Yeah. Glass of mild wine here because it's Christmas. Well, I'd have, I'd have a toss of rum here, but I've finished it. But ah. I'm very grateful for the fact that all I have to do is go to the kitchen and top my glass up. A lot to be grateful for. Indeed. There's a lot to be grateful for, isn't there? An awful lot. And we just have to remember it. Yeah, and I thought that was summarised beautifully by Emily in her 60-second CPD. And 60-second CPD this year. Oh, wow. We've had some blinders, haven't we? Have we've we? had uh, my, my RCVS CPD log is full. really is. <laughs> we've, had, we've had some really good ones. And we've had some that I haven't felt able to log for my vet CPD. Oh, come on. Some of the different ones were the best. Well, yeah, yeah. I must admit, I've used the others, but I haven't necessarily used them for my veterinary CPD. I'm thinking here of, of Anna Mercer. You know, Anna the ferret nurse. The ferret nurse, yeah. yeah. yeah Do you remember her CPD? That was on um, hummus, wasn't it? It was on hummus, that's right, yeah. 60 second CPD on hummus, starting now. Let's have a listen. Yeah. It was brilliant. It was about where chickpeas were grown, uh, how to make them. Shush, shush, shush. No, be quiet. Let's get it. Let's just listen to it. Okay, okay. No spoilers. Well, you would have thought, wouldn't you, that I've got this great opportunity to maybe teach some people about ferrets. Right. And I've not gone for that. Oh, okay. I've actually done my 60-second CPD on hummus. On hummus? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, I wasn't but, expecting that. But for oh. listeners, Julian was just taking a sip of his whiskey there to ease his throat, and as Anna said, hummus. <laughs> I think. I think was that a was that a, a sort of a representation of hummus spraying out of your mouth as you a little, uh, a little bit's come out of my nose and a very small bit out of my right tear duct too, right. which stings quite a lot now. Um, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that. Although you 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 did say in your in your letter to us that or to, to Alicia, our producer, that that you you felt that your Addiction to hummus was um, uh, was beyond your control now, and you, you were thinking of yeah. seeking some help. No, mm. I'm not even going to get any help. I'm you're not. No, you just got to accept it. So, yeah, is, this, this is this part, part of, of now. is this part of your therapy then? Maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it is. Okay. It, I'm, I'm still not going to give it up. I can't give it up. <laughs> Anna Mercer, ferret nurse. 60 seconds on hummus, starting now. Okay. The word hummus means chickpea in Arabic. 
The earliest mention of the spread dates back to Egypt during the 13th century. It is low in saturated fat and high in fibre and protein. Hummus also offers complex carbohydrates to make you feel satisfied and full. Hummus contains some omega-3 fats, calcium, magnesium, iron and zinc, as well as most of the B vitamins. The sesame seeds in the tahini also reduce inflammation. The largest serving of hummus was 10,452 kilograms. This hummus was made by around 300 student chefs in Beirut. Its basic ingredients are chickpeas, sesame, lemon and garlic. Studies show that those who eat hummus tend to weigh less and have better regulated blood sugar than those who don't. Hummus, hummus eaters also have a lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, reduced risk of diabetes, heart disease and certain cancers. India is the largest producer of chickpeas. A serving of hummus is approximately one to two tablespoons, unless you're me, and then it's normally one to two tubs. Flavours include beetroot, roasted pepper, sun-dried tomato, smoked lemon, uh, smoked lemon, just to name a few. <laughs> well, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go and buy some hummus and sort my blood pressure out. Oh, we've got we've got some hummus in the fridge. I'm just going to yeah, make some. See, it's, it's the magical cure, really. We don't, we I love it. Do, do you make your own hummus? Pardon? Do you make your own hummus? Uh, well, I did quite a lot, but I have to confess, it's, it's never been quite as good as some of the bought ones I've had. So which is um, your favourite bought hummus then? Oh, well, it'd have to be between the smoked beetroot hummus. Mm. Or there's a hummus which is made of, it's, it's going to sound really disgusting, but it's pea protein hummus. And, and that's just a few of our episodes from this year we've had so many great guests on so many great stories so many fantastic cpds i've been very grateful for the whole thing Uh, there you uh, go you see something else to be grateful for yeah absolutely it 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 has been good and and if if you've enjoyed it please it really helps us if you subscribe so on whatever platform you're listening to us or watching us please just tick that subscribe button because it really does make a difference to us. really does. Yeah. So. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And may your dog go with you. May your dog go with you. Cheers. Cheers. And cut.